You're listening to the Regent College Podcast. Hello, my name is Claire Perini. Hello, my name is Josh Wilhelm. Just so short. Just Josh <laughs> Wilhelm. <laughs> Where's Octavia when you need him? Right. Um, welcome to the Regent College Podcast. Uh, we um, had a conversation today about reading in community. And Josh is the Assistant Manager of the Regent College Bookstore. Uh, and in Octavio's absence has stepped in beautifully as co-host... Yes, happy to be the uh, Canadian stand-in for <laughs> our friend Octavio. Maybe not as smooth or <laughs> suave, but... Uh, <laughs> you did great. Um, so, yeah, we, we had a conversation with Julie Langay and Chris Smith. So, mm. Julie is a writer and an editor. She has a degree in English and a master's in creative writing. She's been around at Regent, she would say, since the dinosaurs. Uh, and she's also the editor of uh, Regent's journal called Crux. And she writes reviews for various magazines and so on. And she loves books. So we had her here in conversation with Chris Smith. And Chris is the editor of the Englewood Review of Books. And he's a member of Englewood Christian Community Church, which is in the urban near east side of Indianapolis. He's written a couple of books, one called Slow Church, which he co-authored with a guy called John Patterson. And then he's also uh, written different other books on conversations and how the church talks. So we we had a really... Interesting conversation about reading. Josh, any reflections? Yeah, uh, Julie and Chris are two major readers. Um, they they sift through so much, and they both thought deeply about the practice of reading, and particularly reading in community mm. and what that looks like reading together. Well, mm-hmm. um, I learned a great deal. Mm-hmm. Enjoyed it very much. Yeah. So yeah, it's the it's a it's a good conversation starter for thinking about how might we do some more reading in our church if we're people of the book then uh, what does it mean to read the book but to read other books alongside that book? So we hope you enjoy our conversation. Mm-hmm. Enjoy. Chris and Julie, welcome to the Regent College Podcast. Thanks. Thank you. It's welcome good to have you. Um, and Josh, welcome to the Regent College Podcast as my co-host. Thank you very much, Claire. It's good to have you. Glad to be back. <laughs> I made a guest appearance a couple of years ago. You did. So. Now you're back you know, officially because Octavio... Ain't here, and Chris is. So we're um. So it's it's great to have you here, Chris and Julie. So we're going to be talking a little bit today about reading in community, and kind of the gifts and challenges of that from kind of what you guys understand of that. But I thought we'd start with a bit of a personal question: Is why do you love reading in books? Why do you care about them? Tell us a little bit about your journey into loving those things, <laughs> and why should we care about reading in books and words? Julie, would you want to start? Because if you start with Winnie the Pooh, it's all good, (laughs) Uh, which is what I first remember my parents reading to me was Winnie the Pooh. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have loved books ever since. Mm. Um, I I liken it to why some people like chocolate and coffee so much, which I like, but I like books even better. Yeah. Um, I just have always loved to read. I've always loved stories. I've always loved words. Mm. I've always taken in the world through written word. That's how I most understand things uh as in that's how you kind of make sense of the world or that's how you make sense of your tell what do you mean by that it's how i it's where i feel most at home in Mm. taking in the world information Mm. uh knowledge Mm -hmm. um and it's also uh it's probably my learning style it's also uh where i'm most comfortable Mm um so I've and I've always felt at home there with mm-hmm. books and reading. I've always loved good stories. I 
would rather get lost in a good novel than almost anything. Yeah. Um, and not just to escape, but just the pleasure of good words, good plots, good characters. Yeah. I miss Charlotte in Charlotte's Web to this day. <laughs> um, I always will. Yeah. So uh, that's how I, I guess I think about it. But I, I now read almost as much nonfiction as I do fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've come to love it. There's so much good nonfiction now. Mm-hmm. So mm. that's really had a huge... Uh, improvement in the last 30 years in the quality of the writing of nonfiction. So mm. I, um, yeah, so I love books and yeah. I like to, I love the pleasure of giving away good book ideas to other people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And it you should read this. Yeah. yeah. Have you read this? It yeah. is. Yeah. And, and people are, are grateful when you mm-hmm. give them a really good um, a book of idea to read. So that's always a pleasure. Right. Just um, this past week, we had a fellow in the bookstore who came in with a small stack of books and told me he had just met with Julie Wade. <laughs> I was commenting on the books he was buying. He said, oh, those are some great choices. I really enjoyed this one. He said, yeah, I really don't know much about them. Julie just told me to read them. So when she <laughs> so says... Well, and that man is from my church. And yes. uh, ah. so he does... Uh, he takes my suggestions to our church, which yeah. is pretty mm. great. So. It's great for the region bookstore, though. Hey, Josh. Region bookstore. Do you only spend. recommend books that can be bought at the Region College bookstore? Definitely not stuff that can be bought uh, on Amazon. No, right? but I have had a little bit of success in asking the Region bookstore to carry books I'm going to recommend. Perfect. Yeah. So I think it, it has worked that work way. Together. Yes. That's great. Chris, how about you? Tell us about your journey. Why do you love books? Yeah, I don't know that I can really say why. Yeah. Um, because, like Julie, uh, I don't remember a time before. Mm. Uh, I love books. Uh, I think uh, probably one of my one of the stories I often tell is just an anecdote from my mom that uh, a lot of my very earliest childhood toys were pretty much in pristine condition uh, because I'd rather read books uh, than right. play with toys. Huh. Um, so. Uh, um, so yeah, and I think probably I would also point to the the important role. Of course, but my parents were both uh, educators. Mm. Uh, my mom an elementary school teacher. My dad a middle school teacher. Um, uh, and uh, they they love to read and taught me to love to read. Um, but also, I think the importance of public libraries mm. um, for pretty much all my childhood, uh, we lived. Uh, within a few blocks uh, from the public library and then probably starting in about late elementary school, um, my parents trusted me enough to, to walk there on my own and mm. would spend a lot of the summers <laughs> summers there. Um, hey, Chris, you're leading into our next question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well done. Um, yeah, both you and Julie are editors of publications. And, and Chris, yeah, you're the, uh, the senior editor of the Englewood um, book review, the Englewood Review of Books, um, available in print, which I have in my hands here uh, and online. And I'm wondering if you can tell our listeners a little more about um, what the Englewood Review of Books is. Yes, uh, so the Englewood Review of Books uh, is a publication, as Josh said, both online and in print. Uh, we actually started online. We actually even started uh, as an email list mm. um, uh, uh, coming out of our a little bookstore that we had in our church um, in the mid uh, 2000s, um, and uh, uh, but but fundamentally, and I, I think this is an important part of uh, certainly of my story, but of of our church's story as well, um, is that uh, that our church created this opportunity for uh, me to to 
to run our bookstore and then ultimately to do the review uh, because they saw the love that I had for books and, and it meshed well with with the congregation's own uh, love of reading and the ways that reading has been a particularly uh, important and transformative practice mm. uh, for the congregation for uh, for years long before um, I was there. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, we, uh, we started as an email list uh, out of our bookstore, uh, and people loved it. It was uh, starting in early 2008. Um, about the same time, a lot of magazines and newspapers were cutting their book review coverage. Mm. Uh, so... Uh, perfect time. Yeah, to like, yeah, hey, no, perfect. There's a gap uh, in the market. This is good. Yep, <laughs> yep. and and everybody loved it. Yeah. Publishers loved it because it was a new opportunity right. to mm-hmm. to plug their books. Readers loved it because it was a new source when other sources were diminishing. Yeah, right. Um, so uh, so very quickly we realized we needed to make it more accessible than this kind of under mm-hmm. the radar mm-hmm. once a week email list. Uh, so we started a website uh, in uh, the middle of 2008. And uh, Julie, that uh, you, you're an editor of a a paper. Journal. So, given all of that, yeah. you, you so tell us a little bit about Crux. <laughs> I'm also a writer for the Anglewood you, Review of Books. Yes, she oh, is. There you right. go. I won. <laughs> you're World's so many and I, I champion it everywhere I can. <laughs> um, yes, I am uh, the editor of Crux, which is a quarterly journal we put out of Regent College. It's uh, was started actually in the early '70s in Toronto, and then Regent, I would say, became the steward of it in 1979. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, has been published ever since. Um, and we are actually trying to get the resources to put it online. You can access it uh, through the libraries. But uh, at this yeah. point, it's only print, and we'd like to actually double up with it. Um, but it started as largely a way to, I think you'd say, give away a lot of the good thinking and work the faculty here was doing. Mm. And then we've broadened it a little bit to having people who are connected to the college, but a little bit more widely. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the uh, faculty say we want cookies on every shelf so some of it's quite academic some Mm. of it's uh, quite we had an interview with Wendell Berry Um, we've just done a real range of things Mm -hmm. Um, but it is very much a journal that Mm -hmm. comes out of the college Mm. um, trying to reflect the diversity of things so there's articles on food technology how to teach Greek, all kinds of different things. <laughs> we, we have a wide variation. That's right. So How often is Regent, that published? It's published four times a year. Okay. Yep. Seasonally. Yep. Yep. At Regent, you have all those things together. Food, technology. <laughs> I know. Sometimes in the same sentence. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Greek. Yeah, that's right. Um, Chris, you were talking a little bit about your church. This has kind of came, sure. come out of the, the bookstore sure. at your church. but And this is that kind of leads us into sort of this thinking about reading in community. Tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about your church, and then we might kind of think more broadly about of reading in community. But yeah, tell us about your church. Yeah, so Anglo Christian Church is on the Near East Side of Indianapolis, uh, and I've been a part of that congregation since 2003, uh, so going on 17 years now. Uh, But probably uh, two of the most important practices for us as a congregation, and they're kind of intertwined uh, with each other, and probably the bulk of the work that I do now is related in one way or another to both of them uh, are the practices of reading and conversation. Mm. Um, and, uh, of course, reading, we've already talked about kind of the review and the ways that the church has, um, has supported and encouraged, uh, that work, um, uh, and, uh, made it, made a place for that. Uh, but, but also, uh, the, the practice of conversation, uh, in the, early to mid-1990s, 
uh, like a lot of evangelically types of churches, uh, Inglewood had a Sunday evening worship service uh, that was dying off, as it did in a lot of churches uh, during that era. Uh, but we were weird, uh, and uh, we didn't want to. We knew we couldn't continue to do the same old worship service type of worship service that we had done uh, for how many ever decades previously. Uh, but uh, we didn't want to give up being together, uh, so we circled up chairs uh, in one of our multi-purpose rooms, and uh, somebody had the idea, or well, somebody had the idea that we should circle up chairs uh, and have a conversation together, um, and. Uh, and it was, we very rapidly realized, even then, pre-internet, pre-social media, uh, that we didn't know how to talk together. Um, it was just a big mess. Uh, people were yelling at each other. Some people left the church. Uh, people were brutally sarcastic with each other. Uh, some people stayed part of the church, but steered clear of those Sunday night conversations. Um, uh, but out of, again, as I said, we were weird, out of <laughs> sheer stubbornness or whatever else, we continued with this week after week after week after week uh, and continues uh, even to today and mm. really has become the most important practice for us um, uh, and uh, has shaped uh, a lot of the work that we do. I mean, we started, in addition to the review, we started a number of different businesses, uh, but I don't know that we would have started those businesses or sustained those businesses mm. uh, if we didn't have practices of conversation. Mm. Um, and uh, um, and a lot, and reading has been intertwined uh, with that kind of intentional practice of conversation. Right. Um, uh, certainly, I mean, a lot of times we're talking about scripture uh, and talking about how we, how we read scripture and w- how we interpret scripture. Uh, particular passages of scripture, uh, not just kind of generally, uh, but, um, uh, but also lots of times, I mean, there's certainly times that we've read books together as part of that, uh, though not as often as one might think. Mm. Um, but, um, but there's lots of times in which, uh, people will just say, we're talking about something and somebody will say, Hey, I read this, this article or this part of a book, um, or this poem even once in a while, um, that, uh, is relevant uh, to, to what we're talking about. And this is why, and they'll mm. go on and explain it. And so, um, yeah, I, I appreciate that, Chris. Um, you know, when I think of reading, I often think of it being such a sort of isolating exercise, sure. something you do by <laughs> yourself, you know, and, yeah, and, sure. and the books you read at a place like region too, yeah. often serve to sort of further <laughs> yeah, isolate right. you, right? Cause you get more and more specific. And I've right, heard sure. from, from some students that lament the fact that, you know, after, after Regent, you know, they long to bring this stuff into their churches, but, but they think they're even more isolated because when they're at Regent, they can at least talk with other students about, you know, this is the, like theological works in particular, but mm. Do you have any tips or suggestions on sure. how I mean, <laughs> even Regent students could go into their churches and, and start to read together? Sure. Better? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I think the practice of conversation uh, is really one of the keys to that. I mean, having spaces in which uh, we can talk together and and maybe read things together intentionally. Um, I mean, we've read a lot of books. I mean, as a congregation, I'm thinking especially of, of the work of the German theologian Gerhard Lofink that's not typically read anywhere but seminaries, mm. uh, but has been really important. And again, uh, when I say that we have read it, uh, not necessarily literally everybody in the congregation has mm. read every page, uh, but but some people may have read portions of that. Others may just have kind of taken it in because everybody else was talking about it. Um, and really, because we were all kind of working through it together, uh, uh, we really, uh, and because we thought it was so very important, um, we really tried to 
translate it <laughs> um, mm. uh, into uh, terms and ideas that that as many people as possible uh, could uh, uh, could digest uh, mm. and really um, make part of the way that they understand what uh, church is about. But fundamentally, I think if we are to uh, to read scripture well, we have to do other types of reading. Not again, not necessarily everybody mm. <laughs> has to do all types of reading, mm. uh, but but other types of reading helps us to read scripture well. Of course, commentaries uh, helps us un- help us understand uh, the the scriptural text uh, and what the the context in which it was written and what kind of might have been in the author's minds as they were writing some of the things and, and may help us even think about who the authors are mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, in some cases. But um, but also kind of the rich uh, theological tradition of uh, how passages have been interpreted, um, but also the work of trying to uh, interpret passages in our own contexts um, and really trying to understand where we are and when we are um, uh, to to interpret and embody scripture faithfully in our particular places and mm. uh, whether that's a, an urban neighborhood like where Englewood is or uh, a rural place out somewhere in Indiana or some other uh, part of the country um, that uh, so in in Indianapolis for instance or in Englewood I mean we've read our fair share of urban books, uh, books by Jane Jacobs uh, and, um, uh, uh, and f- uh, f- Eric Jacobson, um, who's uh, from out here in the Pacific Northwest uh, and does a lot of really good writing about uh, thinking theologically about urban places. Mm. Um, uh, we, we read those sorts of things to help us understand what where we are and what it might look like, give us some imagination for for living faithfully uh, in our own particular uh, mm. sort of urban place. And that's just one example. Mm. Um, but uh, but all the sorts of, I mean, uh, when, uh, when there are particular struggles uh, in a place around race or class or right. gender mm. or sexuality, um, uh, I mean, we think scripture is relevant for those things, but we also think that uh, there's a lot of wisdom, and a lot of people have uh, put some a lot of energy into thinking, uh, thinking carefully about uh, about those things, and they can um, come into the conversation that we are having with with scripture uh, and uh, with our brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and even and it doesn't have to just be nonfiction. I think there's a lot. Uh, fiction and poetry, I think both, uh, maybe even drama, uh, in some certain <laughs> circumstances, though it's a little tougher for me to wrap my mind around that. <laughs> uh, but um, those forms of literature uh, can can help uh, give us imagination for uh, different possibilities, uh, possibilities other um, than uh, the situation that we find ourselves, uh, other, other ways of, of living and being uh, from different people, the stories of different people in different places. Mm. Uh, and that, and that can be really important for us, uh, in, uh, thinking, Oh my goodness. Um, I didn't even think that that was a possibility, but mm. here I read it, uh, in, in this novel, um, uh, the sci-fi novel, for instance, sci-fi is great for kind of exploring alternative universes, <laughs> uh, and, uh, uh, uh alternate possibilities. Mm. Um, so so anyway, yeah, I mean, those I think that's that sort of uh, c- 
confluence of, of reading and conversation and interpretation that's rooted in scripture, uh, but, but ranges, um, Mm -hmm. a lot broader is kind of what I think about when I think about reading in communion Mm -hmm. or reading community. Sorry for interrupting your podcast, but Claire Perini has something important to say. This podcast is a ministry of Regent College and relies on the support of generous donors. If you've enjoyed our conversation today or any other day, please consider making a small donation to the college at rgnt.net forward slash give. That's R-R-G-N. <laughs> How do you say R? Ah. Uh, uh. <laughs> R. Okay, let me do that again. R. R. G. R. Please consider making a small donation to the college at rgnt.net forward slash give. That's rgnt.net slash give. Now, if you really want to make our day, when you donate, there's a comment box. Please leave a note saying that the podcast sent you. Thank you. Thank you. And enjoy the rest of the podcast. Julie, have you thought about reading in community and reading on your own and that dynamic? I'm never not thinking about reading on my own. <laughs> that's Even what I was thinking. Yeah, that's I'm always thinking. I'd rather be reading. Yeah. Um, not always, but most of the time. Um, our church is quite different in many ways. Um, it's a very, very well-read church. A uh, huge contingent of people are from the university community, be it Regent or just University of British Columbia. Um, I can't imagine a more well-read group of people in one room right, um, yeah. or even a higher percentage of graduate degrees. Um, we have three reading groups. There's a group of parents who read books together about parenting and talk about them. Uh, or at least, I don't know if it's still going. There was when my kids were young uh, or little. Um, and then there's a seniors group who reads books, and then there's a more general sort mm. of reading group. Mm. Um, what troubles me is I don't think those groups necessarily, their thinking and discussion always permeate the larger conversation. I don't think our church is great at conversation, uh, right. which makes me sad. And I think hearing Chris uh, articulate it the way he did, I think it, the spillover is a, is a, a struggle for us. Um, Why so is that, do you think? Like, what's the... I I don't I think our church has been actually remarkable Um, we've been through a fair amount together Mm. uh, of taking care of each other people really step up and look out for each other Um, I can think of older people in our church that everybody kind of just they're who we take care of Um, but I don't think as a group um, and we're a largest church so that makes it more difficult but I don't think we have had a lot of context where we've been urged to sit down and, and as Chris used the word practice conversation Mm. Mm. um, and come into that. Um, Mm. I think we're in smaller contexts. We can be better. Sometimes women are better at it because we've had to be over the years. Mm. (laughs) Um, But, uh, but I think it, it's a lacking Mm. um, issue. Mm. Um, I think it's slightly different in a funny way in Canada than I think it is in the United States. Um, I think in the United States, you're dealing so much with, uh, I don't know what the word is, the perils and the difficulties of a 
evangelicalism and being evangelical. They've been forced more than we have here in Canada to figure out who they are and to hold hands differently or to find their unity. Mm. And we haven't been pressed in quite the same way Mm. here in Canada. Mm. Um, So in a way, I think uh, we haven't been pushed to be as good at conversation. And I think we're all, I think it's, I think it's all part of our, somewhere between our sin and our neediness, we tend to avoid it. Mm. Um, I think we're better at it here at Regent, um, even though I'm sure we could improve a lot. Um, So I I think one of the other, um, but I, what I love about my church is um, we pass books around a lot. We do Mm. talk about books. We, um, I write, we have a a, a newspaper in Canada. It's called the Anglican Planet. It was started by two Regent grads, um, and they put in book reviews. And Bill Reimer, who runs the Regent Bookstore, and myself, and two other people, um, two to three times a year, do a, mm. you know your books to buy for Christmas, books for summer reading. And I'm stunned at the number of people in our church who, like the gentleman who went in buying his books the <laughs> other day, take that seriously. Right. Um, yeah. And so I'll have 10 people come up to me and say, I read the book on Augustine, waiting for the next one, mm. uh, really like Gentlemen in Moscow. Yeah. Um, so I love that, but I don't think we've gotten the, the conversation part of it as well. I, right. Our rectors are also good readers, mm. so they do a lot of recommending books from the pulpit. There are a lot of authors um, because there are a lot of regent faculty and other, f- so everybody read. We did a reading around my husband Craig's book on technology, and the whole church did it. Mm. Um, so we've done some of those things, but we could be a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And I think, I think sometimes when you have a really well-educated group of people, you try to do things in a more professionalized way and in a funny way. I think we need to step back and just say, okay, we just need to start having conversations together and have yeah. dinner together and, and s- start small and thoughtful and let it build from there. Yeah. Um, which I think people would really like. We just don't always do. Yeah. Yeah, it does make me think, and I don't think this is true, but my, but my reaction is it feels like you've got to be educated. To do this, so but I don't think that's true. But it does. It feels like our oh, reading is is a is a practice that, at, particularly at an adult level. So as kids, obviously we're reading stories to our kids. But as adults, if we're reading books, it feel it can feel a bit elite, elitist. Um, and sort of what you're saying is you've got an educated group of people, and I think that's that's my kind of question: is it is it for the elite? How does how do what about how do how do we make reading accessible? And you were sort of saying. You know, so not everyone was reading the philosophical books, but we were kind of breaking it down to sort of... So how, what about that when we're not all at the same... Well, I was really... I've been encouraged twice in the last couple of years in this book review, The Anglican Planet. I've recommended uh, kind of young adult novels. I just recommended one uh, at Christmas, the war, that, uh, the war That Saved My Life and The War I Finally Won. I, I think it's aimed at 11 or 12-year-olds. Right. Uh, and the number of people who have read it and loved it who you would not have envisioned reading young adult <laughs> novels uh, has been really encouraging. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, eleven and twelve year olds could easily read the book. Yeah. Um, they're not. They're about a young woman or a young girl in World War II. Um, so I think it it sometimes feels like it's going to be more highbrow than it is. Yeah. Um, the other thing I I feel actually maybe uh, at least as strongly as Chris, I I have learned more about sin from fiction than anywhere else in my life. Um, Mm. there's a couple of novels that have brought it home for me, made it clear for me. Uh, I think of Stowaway, I think of Les Miserables. Those books have really brought home sin to me, um, and neither of them are, I mean, Les Miserables is long, but, um, some of these books are not, they're not hefty reading, uh, but you can really learn a lot about 
who you are yeah. as a fallen creature Yeah, um, that I think is really helpful. And I don't think there need to be particularly complex. Yeah. Um, you don't need to be reading Karl Barth mm. and, mm. you know, uh, Niebuhr on the weekends. You can read novels and learn a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's that shaping of your imagination, isn't it? It's like it, it helps you see it something bigger or from a different perspective. It's something you kind of knew, but it's in a different body and it's it's in a different story, but it hits you in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would you say to that, Chris, in terms of the elitist? Yeah, no, I, I, I react pretty strongly against that yeah. because our congregation is very different than mm-hmm. Julie's congregation. Uh, we are... Um, I mean, we have maybe a handful of us that have a graduate degree, uh, and maybe two-thirds of the congregation has a a bachelor's degree, uh, but a lot of folks don't. Um, And uh, uh, and yet, uh, reading has been a pretty important practice for Mm. for our congregation for years. Mm, Um, mm. uh, And, uh, I mean, I think one is... One thought that comes to mind is, I mean, simply that uh, because of technology and technological changes in society, uh, we don't expect people to to read and to think uh, uh, as well or as much uh, as perhaps was done in (laughs) pre-internet eras. and so we, we, we encourage ourselves and we encourage others to, to set the bar, the bar high um, and to, uh, to, uh, to, to be reading um, uh, big, for all the reasons that I was saying earlier, that it, it's important uh, to, to our work of living faithfully into, yeah. uh, into the scriptural story. Um, I think the obstacle, I think part of it is our own individualism of um, this the last century, in this century, for sure, um, and that we, we tend to isolate ourselves. But I do think um, there's a what I think is a great book called Reader Come Home, which talks a lot about the changes in our uh, culture as well as our brain, our individual brains in the last 25 years because of the Internet. Um, and she talks about, um, and I think this is so important for Christians, that as we read... Uh, or as we pull back from reading slightly deeper things, and she talks about realizing in her own life she was reading much more lightly, much more sort of quick pieces. She wasn't reading the thoughtful books she'd read in, you know, 20 years before, and she teaches at UCLA, so she's in the context where she would. She uh, realized what now neuroscientists call cognitive, she was losing what's called cognitive patience, and what's, which, you know, resonates with, it, even though it's a complicated term, but what really affected me about that is that is in part where empathy resides in our brains, and in losing cognitive patience, we also are losing empathy. And I think as Christians, we are called to be deeply empathetic. Uh, so there is a hand-in-handness to reading and how we love the world around us. Mm-hmm. It has been interesting. I know that uh, in the last couple of years, uh, Stephen Pinker's work has come into question, but he's, his wonderful book, um, ooh, are better angels or something, but but basically he traces the the history uh, and makes the case that um, that there's been a, a global reduction in violence that parallels the rise of the novel uh, in the 18th and 19th century, um, uh, and uh, argues compellingly to me anyway that uh, 
that the having other stories so accessible in novels helped uh, society to be more empathetic uh, and ultimately to uh, to reduce the everyday sorts of violence uh, against uh I mean, again, there's still still lots of violence in the world, uh, 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 so I don't want to be too idealistic about that. But but uh, but it's interesting that connection between um, the rise of the novel and the accessibility of of stories uh, in, in that form, um, and uh, the ways in which uh, that started to uh, to affect um, the 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 violence of, of humanity as a whole. Thank you. There's a, um, I'm blanking on the name of it, but um, there's a f- very recent book. Uh, I saw it in the region bookstore and I read it over Christmas of a New York Times reporter who walked from um, Canterbury to Rome. Um, and he, he doesn't use the phrase cognitive patience, but he's very much experiencing it in his own mm. um Mon- Is that the mm-hmm. Timothy Egan book? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Can't remember the title I, okay, now either. Okay. <laughs> That's I, the one. I just um, just got a review of that that we're going to run on the yeah, Wood Review site. But he uh, mm-hmm. he definitely is seeing this within himself, and he talks about it quite articulately yeah. and thoughtfully. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You both have a lot of books uh, coming across your uh, <laughs> gaze, you know, <laughs> daily. I'm sure, but um, looking ahead to 2020, what are a couple of the books you're you're most excited about? Hmm. Well, we just did a feature on the Englewood Review uh, website of, I think there was about 30 uh, books, uh, mostly from the first half of the year, um, uh, uh, that uh, we and mostly I am excited about. But but some of the highlights of that, I'm, I'm really excited. I've been uh, a longtime fan of Madeline Lingle's mm. uh, work, uh, and she's actually her very first uh, book of stories. Uh uh, she's published. She published a lot of novels over her lifetime, um, but uh, not a lot of her short stories have come uh, to uh, be published. Uh, but uh, her uh, so uh, that that's coming this spring, and I'm very excited uh, about that. Um, also, it's it's actually interesting to me. Um, I, I try to try to read diversely, uh, uh, both kind of uh, ethnically. Uh, uh, but also uh, men and women. And it's interesting that it was interesting to me that some of the w- books that I'm most excited about are by, by women authors, um, including Madeline Lengel's book, um, but also including uh, several younger writers, mm-hmm. um, um, uh, a young lady who's written uh, a bunch for us uh, and, and for a number of other places, Danielle Mayfield, uh, D.L. D. Mayfield is her author name, uh, has a book. Uh, coming uh, that I'm very excited about. Um, uh, my friend uh, who was at Taylor University for a long time, Amy, Amy Peterson, has an absolutely fabulous book that I had a chance to read over the holidays That's will be out uh, any day now. I think maybe next week is the release date for that. I think it's called Where Goodness Still Where, Grows. Where Goodness Still Grows. Yeah. It's one of the ones I'm really looking forward uh, to. Yeah, too. Uh, I, I know, just, I uh, Amy is a wonderful person yeah. and uh, such uh, a, a great writer, and I'm excited to this. Uh, she she did a book previously, but it was with a smaller publisher. This is her first major uh, publisher book. Um, and there was one other book that I was thinking of, and um, maybe it is. Oh yes, uh, my friend uh, Laura Fabricki, um, her debut book. Uh, she her hus- her husband's a diplomat uh, and has been stationed in Europe uh, for a number of years, uh, and. They're in Belgium now, but they were in Berlin for a long time, and she was a volunteer at the Bonhoeffer House 
uh, in Berlin, uh, the, the Bonhoeffer's family house where Dietrich grew up, I believe. Um, and uh, so she's written a wonderful book uh, called Keys to Bonhoeffer's House. Uh, it's part memoir, uh, but it's also part of uh, uh, her engagements uh, with Bonhoeffer um, and the timeliness of Bonhoeffer uh, for the 21st century. Her background is actually in political science and political philosophy, uh, and she's just an absolutely brilliant thinker. Um, but has written uh, just a wonderful, uh, a wonderful uh, story uh, about. Uh, it's, it's a unique engage. There's been so many books about Bonhoeffer uh, in recent years, uh, but it is utterly uh, distinct. <laughs> uh, it's not uh, mm. kind of uh, just the the sort of personal story um, and the ways in which. Uh, I mean, again, I've thought a lot about places and spaces, uh, and to think about. Um, the the place of uh, Bonhoeffer's uh, home uh, and and what that that significance that had uh, in, in his life and work uh, and what uh, significance it might mean for us in the 21st century mm. uh, it's a it's a pretty powerful book um, I'm I'm very excited about it uh, and uh, excited to to tell others about it mm-hmm. Julie uh, I'm also. L- Looking forward to, I've heard great things about Amy Peterson's book on the virtues, so I'm looking forward to reading that. Um, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to the next Inspector Brunetti and Louise Penny novels. <laughs> That's kind of how I think about what I look forward to next. Um, I have a whole, like probably most of us, I have a big pile on my bedside table that I'm just working my way through. Mm. Um, so I, I, don't, um, I don't tend to look so much look forward as just, Look, look at what I've got to read right now, and I'm excited about it. Uh, going away for the weekend, I have seven books. Um, I won't. I'll probably get to two of them, but um, I. Uh, so mostly, um, fiction is kind of what I get excited about. Yeah. Um, I've gotten a lot more into mysteries in the recent years, so I uh, kind of look for the next development mostly that way. Mm. And it would be remiss not to mention that the the final novel in Marilyn Robinson series is coming this this fall, and kind of I a little am, bit further out on the horizon. Yes, but I am um, looking forward but, to it. Uh, mm. yeah. But yeah, that was uh, uh, one that I'm, I'll be anticipating as it comes closer. Fourth female author you've mentioned. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, fourth yeah. or fifth. Well, yeah. 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 Right. Lost track. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. Uh, but, um, yeah. yeah. Would you want to say something? No. Um, right. Um, I was just thinking, if people are sort of thinking, oh, yeah, this sounds really great. Okay, right, my church needs to be reading more and we need to be reading fiction. We need to expand our imaginations. We need to be thinking differently. We need to extend our cognitive... What did you say? Patience. Patience. <laughs> Therefore, and then their empathy. Um, okay, right, we're in... This is good. Where do, where do people start? And here's, But here's another question before that. Why is it the church's responsibility? Not responsibility. Why is the church responsible for being... A community of readers, not responsible is not the right word, but um, you you talk about it in your book about the church being a place of learning in action mm-hmm. and that kind of that that idea. So there's something like there isn't there's almost like the church is an obvious place for this to happen, but maybe we don't think of it as the obvious place mm-hmm. for that to happen. So if people are thinking, yep, okay, that does make sense, where would they start? But before that, why should the church be actually doing this? Other, if are there any other reasons other than for the reasons that we've said? I mean, I. Th- the answer for me, I've kind of already yeah. kind of given is is scripture. Yeah, I mean, we are reading scripture yeah. that's uh, central to uh, who we are, yeah. uh, and it, it unites us. I mean, scripture is perhaps 
one of the very few things that we, we share across the diversity of the Christian spectrum. Yeah. Um, mm. As many uh, uh, different uh, tradition and traditions and practices we have around uh, Eucharist and around uh, baptism and mm. church leadership and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but scripture is that thing that we share and, oh, wow. Uh, we read it, <laughs> uh, and uh, and we really think it's, or most of us uh, think that it's important to uh, to read that carefully and to read yeah. it well, and um, and hopefully, as I kind of alluded to earlier, it helps us. It leads us into uh, other types of reading um, and other types of of conversations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I obviously agree with. Chris, I think we're called to be people of the book, yeah. um, and that is to uh, inform and color and shape us in all kinds of good ways, uh, and it won't happen unless we're reading it together. Right. Um, I think the other thing, though, is in our culture, certainly in North America, it has become so secular that we are no longer, nothing contributes to our thinking theologically, to thinking Christianly. And books can supplant that. Mm. Um, so I'm a huge fan of people reading and talking about the books they're reading that we might uh, be good theological thinkers mm. about Scripture. Um, and I think it it isn't by any means a sure thing, but it has the capacity to deepen our roots in Christ uh, and our, our witness to Christ. Mm-hmm. So I think churches are called to read. Um, and I think Christians are called to read, and and that might be listening to an ebook, which I'm totally good with. Um, <laughs> but I think uh, that's I think it is actually really important for Christians to do that. Yeah. Um, and I think we are so fortunate that there are so many good mm. uh, theologically thoughtful books or Christian books, if you want to call them that. There's just the region bookstore alone is a amazing testament to that um it's for many of us better than a candy store literally um so it's uh it's uh it's you know i could spend hours there i get happy walking in there um so i think there is uh i think it is actually really important to be reading um and it doesn't need necessarily you need to even be reading really complex books you can um even to read novels together and i think the way to start is um you know, you and I joke, Claire, about being a creator of a community, not being a consumer of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you, um, you know, you have people for dinner and you say, let's all read the book next week. Yeah. And people often put it off. They'll say next month and then everybody does it the last three days. So <laughs> actually, totally. that's exactly what happens I've, in book clubs. I've, I've learned. Like, totally. You've got six weeks. And then it's like that final three days. I, like, oh, my goodness. I, uh, <laughs> we, we, before Marilyn Robinson was at the college, we, did, we all decided we'd read our novels together. And everybody did it the last three days. I, I have no doubt. Um, I used to think I was weird that way. Now I know I'm normal that way. But I also would say... Plan for dinner next week, pick a book, um, and just start reading. Even if yeah. all people do is experience the pleasure of a great story. Yeah. Um, and then they begin to maybe move into a wider range of mm. things. Mm. Um, um, a friend and I uh, read a f- an essay about food every so often, and we go, she lives in Indiana, uh, and we pick our food essay, and then we go back and forth about it. And mm. um, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, it's something we both love but i think there are lots of small good ways um keep it simple um my general feeling is most of us are lonelier than we put on mm-hmm. than we let others know just invite people over for good tea or a glass of wine and say 
let's all read a book and come talk about it. And there's no punishment if you get there and you haven't read it all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Yeah. That's a great place to start. Yeah. I mentioned earlier uh, the work of Gerhard Lofink, uh, and one of the kind of central concepts to his work is the notion of the the church as the contrast society, mm. uh, the contrast community. Um, and I think that by being attentive to to practices of reading and for all the reasons that we've talked about here, uh, we have an opportunity to be a mm. contrast people mm. that points points humanity uh, to a deeper, uh, more connected uh, in a world where, as we said, loneliness is uh, kind of a pathology, a prominent pathology, um, uh, that... Uh, that uh, people can be uh, more connected with one another, more empathetic, uh, more patient, um, uh, and uh, and I think that if we are, if our churches are uh, attentive to the history of of reading uh, that we've inherited, um, I think that we can find ways uh, uh, that uh, to to share that, mm. uh, to to live into that ourselves, uh, but also to invite uh, our neighbors into that. Mm-hmm. So, Chris, if um, someone was to get a copy of your <laughs> latest book entitled uh-huh. 101 Transformative Books <laughs> for Churches to Read and Discuss, where might they get a little uh, a free copy of that? Yes, e-book? you can get an ebook uh, copy of that uh, through the Englewood Review of what Books website. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you actually, if you haven't visited the site before and you go, I think there will actually be a little pop-up window uh, that encourage uh, that invites you to uh, sign up for our email, our weekly email list, and that you'll get a get a copy of that mm. uh, that book, uh, that kind of little ebook I wrote to go along with um, as kind of a a, recom- a sort of recommended reading list of classics, uh, classics across. Um, a lot of different disciplines, mm. uh, but I wrote it in conjunction with uh, my book, Reading for the Common Good, mm. um, but also have been delighted to uh, give that away to um, readers of the the Englewood Review. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the, the our email list is a really good way mm. uh, to keep up uh, with uh, what we're doing on our website. And one of the things that we've been doing now that some of your listeners may be interested in uh, is just back in Advent, uh, we started uh, doing a series of lectionary poetry, especially for uh, churches that uh, uh, move along with the uh, revised common lectionary, uh, we we pick uh, a, a poem each week, uh, either a classic or a contemporary poem uh, that go- resonates in some way with uh, each of the lectionary readings for that week, mm. um, and then we post them uh, usually on Monday of or Tuesday of the week before uh, the the readings the readings for the next Sunday uh, so that folks can, especially folks that are preparing sermons or preparing worship uh, can read those and maybe have their imagination stirred a little bit as poetry is excellent at doing. Um, uh, so, uh, so that's something that your readers might be interested in and they can uh, sign up for one of our email lists uh, and, and get those on a regular basis, mm-hmm. weekly basis. Friends, well, thank you very much for your time. Oh, my pleasure. Really it's always it. a delight to yeah. talk about books, about books and <laughs> reading. <laughs> that's right. And um, Josh, do you want to do a shameless promo for the Region College Bookstore? If there hasn't been enough already, <laughs> I mean, no, Josh is the assistant manager, so. Come by and see us. <laughs> we, we love, uh, yeah, having conversations and helping to steer folks towards good books. Um, and you're unusually good at that. Well, yeah, thank <laughs> Steering you. well. Yeah, <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks for your time. Well, thank you for having us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Regent College Podcast. 
Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit regent.net. That's R-G-N-T dot net. <laughs>